0: I'd rather be a Charles Band dick sucker than a Disney dick sucker. And believe me, there are a lot more of them out there.
1: Radio Drone. Welcome to what is hopefully the final episode of our Horror in the 80s Triumvirate, which went on a lot longer than I anticipated it going on. I am Josh Hadley. With me as always is the Cecil himself. Uh,
0: Apparently my brain fell out at some point.
1: Isn't that that rock over there? I think so. And Peter at least isn't here yet. We think he overslept because he said he'd be here and... Not here so the great Defender of Canada is not here right now maybe he's maybe he's off punching Islam somewhere I don't know
0: I don't know I like to think that he went back in time again to go see Dio. private joke Just <laughs> never <I> mind. Get- <laughs> It looks just like it. if
1: you watch Dio's We Rock music video at 1 minute and 4 seconds in there you tell me that is not Peter as a time traveler since that was recorded in 1984 but anyway that, that that's something totally that we that's not part of this. If you guys want to help out the show, you guys need to use a VPN. And to do that, you use Nord so you go to 1201beyond.com backslash dromevpn, and you get NordVPN that way for only $3.49 a month. That's 75% off of a three-year plan. Nord will encrypt your data. They will encode your data. You can just pick whatever server you want. Hey, this video is not available to me in America as it's British. Oh, hey, look at that. I'm on a server in London now, or I'm on a server in Pakistan now to watch this weird Pakistani show I want. 1201 beyond com backslash drome vpn and also you can go to adamandeve.com use the promo code drome d-r-o-m-e and you will get 50 percent off of a single item three free dvds a free sex swing and free u.s shipping all you have to do is use the promo code drome at adamandeve.com last week at 1986 talking about vamp i, I still say it's a shockingly underrated film, 1987. This was the year of blood, because in this year we have Blood Diner, Blood Friends, Blood Harvest, Blood Hook, Blood Lake, Blood Rage, Blood Sisters, Bloody New Year, Bloody Wednesday. What was it about 1987, Cecil, that was, hey, this is the year of the blood titles?
0: I don't know. It just, uh I guess it just worked. I mean, in some cases... You couldn't th- come up with a better title. Like, Blood Diner is just perfect because that's what it is. I guess it's uh things run on trends where we went with genres. I guess in this case, they decided to go with titles. So just blood. They went nuts with blood.
1: And some of these are kind of weird because, okay, Blood Rage is that Thanksgiving kind of one. It ain't cranberry sauce. I think it's a garbage uh, movie, but a lot of people love it, especially after it showed on... Joe Bob. Blood Harvest, Bill Rabane with Tiny Tim. I happen to kind of dig the movie, but it, I can't deny it's a complete and utter train wreck. Y- you've got Blood Diner, which I do happen to like. I would have liked it better if it was actually a sequel to Blood Feast as it was meant to be, but okay, we'll take what it is. The really queer one in this is Blood Hook. Mystery Science Theater, guys. This is Jim Mallian. You go, okay, this was... A year or so before he, you know, created MST3K. You don't see any of that here. There's no humor. There's no jokes. Nothing in this movie is funny. Bloodhook is painful to sit through, Cecil.
0: I don't think I've ever actually seen Bloodhook. That's, uh, wasn't it like a fisherman or it, something? It, it, it's a
1: comedy. It's, it, it's meant to be a horror comedy that they forgot to put comedy in. Oh, yeah, boy. it's one of those.
0: I have to mention Bad Taste. That was, uh, the first Peter Jackson movie I ever saw. Now, granted, I didn't see it in 1987. I saw it sometime in the early 90s, and I immediately was like, "Oh my God, who is this guy? He's amazing!" Now, that is a movie that is a horror comedy where there is actual comedy in it. It's funny, it's weird, it's very, very New Zealandish because that's you know Peter Jackson's shtick. He's in it. He plays uh, Derek. His head keeps falling open, and he keeps losing his brains. It's a fantastic film. It is. Uh, it's wonderful. I love it dearly, and uh, I should uh, do a video on. It at some point
1: what about something like angel heart because i remember and i gotta remember in 1987 i'm 12 years old angel heart i remember seeing it probably not till 88 or 89 since i saw it on cable but i hated it and now i want again as an adult i like it a hell of a lot more
0: Um the same way i didn't quite get it they made a big deal because you know this was uh the cosby you know uh lisa bonet was she was getting out of the cosby shadow to try to be uh an adult not an adult actress, meaning a porn actress, but being taken as a more serious actress, and it didn't really work for her, because she, well, also she was, uh, it was a different world, so she was trying to get out of all of, all of that TV sitcom stuff, and be taken seriously, and unfortunately it didn't work. The movie, if I remember correctly, did not do well. I thought it was just weird, I didn't get it, but again, saw it years and years later, and I'm like, oh, okay, this makes a lot more sense now that I'm older. It's, it's just, it is still a very bizarre film, I mean, but it's got, you know, very good cast, and uh, it is, I think it's directed very well. It's very uh, atmospheric and creepy. Definitely has found its audience over the years, but when it first came out, it did not do well. And I uh, did not do very much for Lisa Bonet's career.
1: Well, what about something like the Canadian Blue Monkey? The one with the giant bug in the hospital that gets killed with the laser for eyes or something like? Blue Monkey is one of those movies that you just watch and you say to yourself, what the hell was that?
0: Blue Monkey? Wasn't that Zalman King. Or no, that's Blue. Oh, there's another Blue movie with, with Zalman King. Yeah. Yeah, Blue Monkey. Okay. I had, I had the two mixed up. Cause I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. 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 It was the, uh, the, the, weird insect thing, uh, the, the William Fruit movie. Yes. I've not seen it in a very long time. Steven Rouseback? They-, they remember it. Okay. What
1: about? I do not like this man now, especially be- with all the arrogance, all of his self-pollating, and all of the garbage he puts out. I really like David Dakota's Creepazoids.
0: Oh, yeah. I still... I still like Kodo for the most part. I don't... The the 1313 movies are absolutely not for me.
1: What, What I'm talking about, though, is you hear him talk in interviews and whatnot, and he is so arrogant about how he is one of the best directors out there, and, you know, people are trying to hold him down, and it's like, dude, just get your dick out of your own mouth. God, you are... He seems to see himself... As the crusader for independent film, it's like, no, dude, yes, suck now. You just sh out product. You don't make movies anymore, David.
0: I don't know. I mean, most of the there's a video I'm working on now where uh, he was he was it was actually his first job in Hollywood. And, uh, he was, he seemed, he was talking more, like, focused on the product itself. He wasn't talking about himself, so, uh, he sounded fine. And, I mean, I've listened to him talk about Creepazoids and whatnot, and, like, I mean, he's made some legitimately good movies. I mean, Creepazoids was a lot of fun. Puppet Master 3, a lot of people regard as the best of the series. His Um, 80s
1: and 90s stuff was okay. After he found digital video, he just stopped trying. I mean, okay, all you need to do is go and buy J.R. Bookwalter's book, where David Dakota does the introduction. And he spends the entire introduction, not talking about J.R. Booker at all, but attacking Fangoria, Cinema Fantastique, his critics, about how he is so much better than them, how they are wannabe filmmakers, how he's living his dream, how he makes more money than them, and how their criticisms mean nothing because they are nothing because he is so amazing.
0: It's it's a shame because yeah I mean Creepazoids and a lot of his 80s 90s stuff is uh, tons of fun. It's a bummer that uh if he if that is legit if he really has that big of an ego because honestly uh if he does have that big of an ego like some people they are egotistical but they can deliver. If he is legitimately that egotistical, he's not delivering because his stuff is is unwatchable quite for his newer stuff. Is just unwatchable. His older stuff, lots of fun, but the newer stuff—I saved the past ten years or so, or longer. I don't know how long he's been doing the thirteen thirteens. But holy crap, are they? They're all—they're basically all shot in like the same locations. Ugh, they're just bad.
1: Well, but then this year also brought us Creepshow 2, which we talked about extensively in our Creepshow retrospective. Uh, same with The Curse, which we just talked about a few weeks ago as a not terrible adaptation of Color Out of Space from Lovecraft.
0: I had forgotten David Keith directed that. Well, and then there was
1: Demon of Paradise that serious Santiago. Of... Basically a mean-spirited remake of a previous Roger Corman and Sirio Santiago movie of Up From the Depths, but now mean and rapey. It was sort of weird. But I want to talk about, I haven't seen it in many years. I remember really liking Doom Asylum, though.
0: I had gotten Doom Asylum, boo, I, I think it was at, uh, there was a place called Movies You Buy. They were buying up, all the video stores were going out of business, so they were getting, like, all their leftover DVDs, like, dirt cheap, and then they were selling them dirt cheap. I got Doom Asylum, I think, for, like, two bucks on DVD, and, uh, I've only ever watched it, like, once or twice, but I, I, just, it's another one, I remember it being fun. I remember it being, uh, like, just enjoyable. But 1987 also brought us I, I, I get crap for this,
1: but I think the best Evil Dead film, Evil Dead 2, everyone loves Army of Darkness, and I don't hate Army of Darkness. I'm going to say it. Evil Dead 2 is a, the superior film in the franchise.
0: I, I don't care what you think. You can like Army of Darkness better, but you're wrong. Evil Dead 2 is the better film. Well, I look at the three of them in Evil Dead is the concept as a horror movie. Evil Dead 2 is the concept as a horror comedy Evil Dead 3 Army of Darkness is the concept taken with with all elements of that, with with horror, with comedy, with a little bit of sci-fi and fantasy in there. You know, 1 and 2 are very much... Pretty much the same film, just different genres. And then three is kind of its own batshit crazy offspring. I like all three of them for different reasons. So it's really tough because they're all, they're all part of the same franchise unless you start counting the La Casa movies. (laughs) I like them each in different ways, so it's it's kind of I I do think I mean sometimes Evil Dead One is my favorite, sometimes Evil Dead Two is my favorite, sometimes Army of Darkness is my favorite. It's really it's hard for me to pin down. They're, they're that is a very unique franchise.
1: What about Canada's The Gate? I remember liking the movie, and then I watched it again as an adult, and I don't like it as a movie, but I love the stop motion. I love the little monsters. I love the heavy metal kind of the heavy metal lore built into it i just don't think it works but then that's not for steven duraf he as a kid actor he was killing it in this movie i just thought the script is what didn't work for the gate
0: i like the gate there was somebody on my twitter feed a while ago they were going to watch the gate for the first time and they were like oh you know it's got uh, young steven Durf and then i was like hey it's really cool i, I and then they wrote back oh god it was awful I'm like, "Oh, come on."
1: Well, did you watch the Gate 2 by accident cuz that one is awful, just straight well, up. Well,
0: I I I don't know. I've always had it like I think the Gate 1 is better. Uh I don't mind the Gate 2. You've got Pamela Well, Pamela, was it Adlon or Yeah, it was I think it was still Adlon back then. And I don't know. I I kind of like the uh, the concept.
1: I like Ghoulies as we discussed previously in this retrospective. But I love Ghoulies too.
0: Yeah, I I like the Ghoulies Series in general, I think one and two are definitely the best. I would be hard... Pr- i got to go back and watch uh, the first two again. I've got to do the Ghoulies movies at some point. I really want to go back and, and watch them again.
1: I I guess a couple of years too late, Hell High, which, remember the slasher movie, boom? Done at this point. It's all completely over, at least for a few more years. Douglas Grossman makes Hell High, and no one cared. Then there is, and I want to do a full retrospective on the Prom Night series at some point, but Hello, Hello, Hello Mary Lou Prom Night 2. I mean, you got Michael Ironside in it. Do you need any other reason to go watch this? You don't need to see the first film, because despite the title, it's not a sequel.
0: No, I mean it, it. I guess it's right. It's a spiritual sequel,
1: maybe, but it has nothing to do story wise with the first movie.
0: No, but I mean it does take place on prom night, so in a way, follow uh, the the Halloween initial idea, the anthology where each movie is a different thing. Because the first one was the serial killer, whereas this one it was the girl coming back from the dead for revenge. It was, was Carrie. Yeah, it was Carrie, but it was still fun. I mean, you know, come on.
1: But then there's Hellraiser, which we did a whole retrospective on years ago. There's House 2, the second story. Ha ha pun. We did a whole retrospective on that with Mike White. I love The Hidden yes. now. I think The Hidden, Jack's Shoulder, the movie, you don't, you barely see the monster. But it totally works in this one. I love The Hidden.
0: I absolutely love The Hidden from the first time I saw it. I think that it is really a cool movie. It is a spin on Invasion of the Body Snatchers, but you just got to love that it's like, okay, this alien comes to Earth. It loves drugs and fast cars and just causing as much... And punk rock. rock. It just causes so much chaos. It's just... it's. It really is is a great, fun movie. I liked the movie so much, and I was so excited for the sequel. You watched
1: Hidden 2, didn't you? Oh, oh God. Oh, I God. rented
0: Hidden 2 as soon as it came out, because it had Kate Hodge in it from uh, She-Wolf of London. I was so super excited. And oh my god, could The Hidden 2 be one of the biggest drop-offs in series history? Cause the first one is just so good, and man, The Hidden 2, they just, they just made shit up. I don't know what the hell they were doing.
1: But then there is Howling 3. I said in the Howling retrospective, I like a lot more now than I did then. I think it's a shockingly good movie. Imogene Ansley is so gorgeous in this movie. And then I got a full retrospective planned, so we're going to skip It's Alive 3, Island of the Alive. But you want to talk batshit? That's the definition of a batshit movie.
0: Absolutely.
1: We got Jaws Revenge. We covered in a full retrospective. What was what, Jaws 3, Human Zero? Jaws the Revenge is for.
0: Oh, Jaws, Re- I'm sorry, Jaws Revenge was... Right, Jaws 3 was three, duh. So blame it on the cough medicine.
1: But then there is the Joe D'Amato Killing Birds with Robert Vaughn, which is, you know, a zombie sequel that's not a zombie sequel at all. You've got the Rod Steiger the Kindred. You have Monster Squad, which we've talked about endlessly. You've got Tromas, Monster in the Closet. you got Claude Akins fighting a Troma monster. Do you get better than that? But then there is the Lost Boys, which... I... I like and I don't like. There are parts... How could, What's not to like? There are parts I cannot stand in this movie, and then there are parts okay. that I absolutely love. So the lo- the Lost what, Boys what, what is a real 50-50. What, can
0: what can't you stand?
1: Corey Haim, for one. His performance is like something straight out of a cartoon, and that would be fine if the whole movie were like that. But everyone else is treating this movie like it's a real movie. His, nice, his character does
0: not work with the rest of these characters. I don't know. He's the, he's the annoying little brother whose older brother is turning into a vampire and he can't, he can't deal. I don't know. I think he's, I think he works really well. I think he, honestly, The Lost Boys is one of my all time favorite movies. Yeah. I don't think that there is anything wrong with it. I think the from the, the soundtrack to the effects to the cast, like I just I love it. I think it's perfect. It's it's really good, and I'm actually really sad. I, God, what movie was it? There was another Schumacher movie. They passed by a a bill. They passed by a movie theater, and they had a billboard. And it said, coming soon, The Lost Girls. And he was going to do a, a, you know, The Lost Girls sequel. It was going to be an East Coast movie, Girl Vampires. And it yeah, it was a pretty clever, like, spin on it. It just never happened for whatever reason. Now, if they did it, it would probably just be a bad idea. But back then, I think it still would work. But uh love The Lost Boys. And then, ugh, the sequels.
1: I, I don't know what you're. I don't know what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, that, you know what? What am I talking about? That they never happened. That, that was never a thing.
1: The, the, they also never made that TV pilot. That was so bad that the CW actually scrapped it and said, "We're shooting this whole pilot again." <laughs> but then there's like Munchies. We've talked about Near Dark. We talked Suck about in our vampire episode, which is one of the best vampire movies ever. George Beidergex. I'm sure I butchered that. George
0: you I believe...
1: I I have no freaking idea how to pronounce that. Necromantic, which might be one of the most yicky movies I've ever sat through.
0: Necromantic is, is a movie... Like, I actually like the sequel a lot better. But the first one, it's... The thing that gets me right... Necromantic, for those of you who don't know... It is a couple, uh, the, the boyfriend, he's, he's one of the, the road cleanup people for people who get in like car accidents and whatnot. He steals a body from a, from an accident, brings it home, and him and his girlfriend, they begin to have a three-way relationship with the corpse. It's, it's a very, very, very unusual, kind of almost weird dream kind of film. And I actually, I was enjoying it. In its absurdity, but then at one point, kid is, the guy is having a flashback and they kill a rabbit and skin it for real, and it just it, it ruined it. Like I just I can't like when when you're when they're ha- you know they have the body and all that and it's it's fake. I mean it looked good, but it was obviously okay. They're not really having sex with the corpse. But then when they kill the rabbit and skin it and and it just I'm like ah like that like that's real. Like, it brought, and then it took me right out of it, and it kind of ruined the movie for me.
1: It's the same thing with Cannibal Holocaust and all that. You can be getting into the movie, and you got all this, you know, the, the very realistic, but fake stuff, and then all of a sudden, you're really killing monkeys and turtles, and it's like, you know what? Fuck you then.
0: Yeah, like, I don't. I don't get, I mean, I guess, I know it's a cultural thing where they're, they're kind of, you know, they have different feeling about animals and whatnot, and I understand, you know, but, but still, I just, I can't shut off my An animal should never
1: have to be actually killed for a goddamn movie. Never. Okay, yeah. that's what fucking special effects are for. If you have to do it for real, then you f***ing suck as a director.
0: Like, this is something that is supposed to be entertaining, and you're killing an animal for real, and it just, it, it just, it's, it takes me completely out of it, and it really just pisses me off. And it, it actually just f***ing, you know, ruined my day. I'm like, because I'm watching, I'm laughing, and then it's like, ah, you know, it just got, it just got real.
1: But then we've got the movie nobody wants to admit exists, George R. R. Martin's Night Flyers, the Catherine Mary Stewart movie. Because remember, after he got super huge with Game of Thrones, Night Flyers was starting to pop back up on the radar, and even George R. R. Martin was like, I don't know what you're talking about.
0: I like Night Flyers. Now,
1: I've never read the story it's based on, so I've heard it it has almost nothing to do with the story. But, yeah, I I dug Night Flyers better than that horrendous sci-fi channel miniseries, which maybe that's closer to the book? Fine. That was a f***ing slog to get through, though.
0: The movie, I had started looking into it a while ago, and apparently what happened, they got about halfway through the production, and they had their budget cut. And so that's why a lot of the end is so dark because they had to find ways to shoot whatever they could for very little money and kind of concealing things. So that's kind of why it also wraps up and it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it starts off really strong, and I still enjoy it as a whole, but I do recognize that they, you know, they did kind of not really have enough to be able to finish it up at the end. So it's a shame, because I think if they didn't have their budget cut, probably could have pulled off a better thing, and I love the dude, the dude's head, you know, getting Pez dispensered, I think is, is an excellent... Are, are, excellent. Are, you t- are you
1: talking about the one where he's on the table, and like the healing, it, it's supposed to be like a medical laser, it's slicing him into bits...
0: Yeah, well, well, the one—it's on the back cover, where his his from the mouth. Yeah, you know, it gets yeah. split open. You know, yeah, that's like, yeah, the the les, laser thing. It's just that's a really cool effect. I I don't know. I would uh, I would like to revisit that. And I think that that Catherine Mary Stewart was really good, you know, playing like a, you know, she was a badass in it.
1: Well, then there's Nightmare on Elm Street 3, which, yeah, I'll say it, best film in the entire franchise. Dream Warriors, it's the most unique. I think it's the most well-directed. I think it has the best ideas. I love Dream Warriors. I think it's the only Nightmare on Elm Street film I genuinely think tries to be different. Uh, let's leave Freddy's Revenge out because it, I get into arguments with people that's not even a real Nightmare on Elm Street movie. That's that, that's sort of the season of the witch of the Nightmare franchise.
0: I agree, though. I think, you know, Nightmare 3 is definitely the best of the series. Uh, the thing that I liked the most about it was that it took the ideas and they really expanded upon them. It's like, okay, well, we're in the dream, so why can't we use the dream to be able to fight back? And I thought that was really clever, and it was a way for them to really go beyond the stuff that was started with the first one. I don't dislike the second one, but it I think that it is just a very weird pocket universe, so to speak. Three, I think, really takes the series, and it goes in the best direction with it.
1: Well, and then there's Jeff Burr's The Offspring, which is is both boring and really interesting at the same time. You've got Argento with Opera, which... I like Argento, but I did not like this movie. I'm sorry. You've got Predator, which we don't even need to discuss. Prince of Darkness, we don't even need to discuss. But then there is, we know this under a different title, but its original title, The Predator Concert. It's the unfinished movie with Charlie Sheen and Laura Dern and George Clooney that we all saw as Grizzly 2. You know, the work print that leaked to the internet.
0: I wonder what would have to happen to actually get that released. For, I mean, it's it's finished. I mean, the, the it's it's a completed.
1: They were mi- they're missing many key scenes. At least the work print that's that leaked to the internet. It's only a little over an hour long, and there and there is so much padding with all the concert stuff. They are missing several key scenes. The the, the bear never even shows up. It's just arms that show up in frame and stuff. They are <laughs> missing several key scenes. So kind of an unreleasable, unfinished okay. movie.
0: Okay cuz I think that's one where if if they did have it at least a little bit more complete you know vinegar syndrome or somebody would would pick it up I'm sure yeah if it's if it's if they never shot the scenes then yeah it probably but I mean if they did shoot them and they're just not in the work print or whatever I don't know I just there are certain things where uh, I mean I'm glad that at least the version that did leak leaked because I think that uh if if they made a movie, uh, one way or another, it, it should get out there. Uh, I'm always sad. With, like, my brother-in-law worked on a movie. The producers got into an argument about it, and it did the festival circuit, but then they couldn't agree on who owned what. So the movie's sitting on a shelf somewhere. And he's like, God damn it, here's something I worked on. I want people to be able to see it. And it's the same way with this to a certain degree. Like it's a shame when something like that happens, and it just it will most likely never see the legitimate light of day. At least this got out there to a certain degree. And whether or not it was good or not, I mean, it's still an interesting thing. Because the freaking Charlie Sheen, uh was it John Reese Davies, Deborah Foreman, George Clooney, Laura Dern? I mean, it's I'm sure they probably don't want it to get out there.
1: It. It's the same thing with, because I'm writing that book on unaired pilots. I have been contacted by numerous actors, and in one case a director, who does not have a copy of the pilot that I have. Somehow I have a copy that I got on the bootleg circuit, and the people involved in it don't have it. You don't know how many of these people. Sometimes I'll contact them be like, hey, I'd like some information, and they're like, how did you see this? And I'll explain to them, you know, I got a copy on the bootleg circuit, and they're like, can I get a copy? Because I've never seen it. That's f***ed up. That the actors, and in one case the director, has to go to the bootleg circuit to get the thing they worked on. Now I get it. They were paid for it, and that's what... You know that's all the studio cares about. We paid you. You never had a guarantee that this was ever going to air or that you'd ever see it. But what I'm, my point is, it's sad that they have to go to the bootleg circuit to get a copy for their own later show reel.
0: Yeah, that is a major bummer because you figure it's like, hey, I, I worked on you know I worked on this. I created this thing. You'd think like one of the one of the end results would be the person that directed it, the producer, whatever, would get a copy. But that's not the case. That's not ever the case. And it's really sad. But then this year
1: also brought us, now a lot of people hate this movie, and you're fine too, I totally get why you do. I happen to dig Psychos in Love because of just how, you know what, we're just going to do whatever comes into our head at this point, the movie is.
0: I don't think I've ever actually seen it. It was an,
1: it was, I don't know if Empire made it, but Empire released it. I, I recommend Psychos in Love, but I know most people who pick up on my recommendation and buy the DVD will go, that was f***ing terrible. And I'm like, yeah, it was, but it was unique. You can't deny that. Then there is Larry Cohen's Return to Salem's Lot. I like Larry Cohen. We've discussed this before. I don't know what he was thinking with this movie. This movie is horrendous. This movie is borderline unwatchable. I don't know what Larry Cohen was thinking with Return to Salem's Lot. I don't know, I don't know if this was work for hire or what or if he was just trying shit out something because Return to Salem's Lot is horrendous.
0: It's um it's not his best. <laughs> I love Larry Cohen, but uh I mean and and you know Cohen and, and Michael Moriarty, it's kind of a a uh, you're I trying the, you're I mean, trying I'm, to be nice. Just say it. It's a bad, bad movie. Guy Magar's Retribution with uh, Dennis Lipsko. Uh that movie deserves way more love. It is it just a terrific little horror kind of character piece about a guy who gets who's trying to kill himself and he gets possessed by the spirit of a dead mobster and uh and he goes out and gets revenge on the people who did kill uh the mobster. Really, really good movie with a terrific performance by Dennis Lipscomb.
1: I actually, I actually saw that earlier as a black exploitation movie called JD's Revenge, and JD's Revenge is really bad, but it's almost the exact same it's, plot.
0: It's similar but different. It's different in the way that they kind of handle it. To me. I hadn't,
1: th- I haven't I thought about retribution in, in, a, in a long time, and as soon as you started describing the plot, I went, "Oh my god, it's JD's Revenge, but yeah, white." It
0: is the white version of JD's Revenge. As far as I know, it is. It's just a, you know, tangential thinking, it's just a coincidence, it wasn't an intentional remake, because it's, it, it plays out a lot differently. Talk about <laughs> whitewashing! Uh the, the walls are at it again. But I, I, I want to talk about
1: the movie George Clooney does not want anyone to talk about, and that is Return to Horror High, which is a hilarious movie, that Unfortunately, the, the title sort of be- betrays it, so people ag- ignore it, because they think it's a sequel, and they go, well, I've never seen this Horror High movie. And it's not a sequel, but there is actually a movie from the 60s called Horror High. It's, it's easily conceivable that people would think this is a sequel to that old 60s movie Horror High. But it isn't. It's a parody of slasher movies played completely straight, About, they're trying to make a film about a slasher that happened years earlier, but then there's still slashings on the film set. Return to Horror High needs to be seen by more people, but I think the return part is what scares people away because they're like, I don't want to watch a sequel to a movie I haven't seen.
0: The idea was, whenever we got the, you know, return to, or the return of, people automatically think it's a sequel. So, uh, I think if they would, if they just called it something else, it might have done a little bit better. It's a it's a neat little movie.
1: Well, now, do we even really need to talk about John Micklethor's rock and roll nightmare? Because Yes we do. Why? This movie because is unwatchable.
0: It's John Micklethor oh. as John Triton.
1: I, I think you mean Coca-Cola product placement the movie?
0: <laughs> well then well you've got Roger E. Burt, E B U R T. Dude, it's such a goofy ass movie.
1: Now, you're gonna defend this movie. I know you are. Garrett Stiff sucks.
0: I am not going to defend it on the like, I'm not saying that it is a particularly good movie. Uh, it is an interesting movie. It's got a much more- It's interesting back- backstory. it's- ba- the
1: backstory is way better than the actual film.
0: The backstory is way more- be- is way better than the actual film. However, I think that it is an interesting little time capsule, and uh, it's neat. Uh, I like it. I- I would not- I don't really recommend people rush out and watch it, but I don't think that uh, it is uh, unwatchable. Like, there are some films that are just, ugh. But uh, no, I think at the end of the day, I think that it is a, a neat little cool voodoo horror film. That doesn't make a lot of sense because they did kind of change a lot of things as they're going along. It could have been better, yes.
1: You kind of get that with, like, Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. We talked about it in our retrospective. It's not even a real movie. It's framing devices on clips from the first movie. I, I don't know. It didn't work for me. But I want to talk about Slumber Party Massacre 2, where the, where Roger Corman said, I can make a Nightmare on Elm Street movie.
0: No, it, it, it's, a, it's a Nightmare on Elm Street. It oh, totally of- is. I mean it, it you got to look at it from Cormans perspective it's hey what's popular right now can we knock off and uh you know the nightmare films were making bank so sure and i mean and he he had just had 5 years earlier had um Robert England in uh, Galaxy of Terror <laughs> why wouldn't he try to to knock off uh, the nightmare films
1: okay slumber party massacre has its place Slumber Party Massacre 3 is a complete disaster, but I actually like Slumber Party Massacre 2 the best. The best directed, because they try all these weird things with light and camera angles to get the dreamlike quality of it. The guy has, like, an Ozzy Osbourne Iron Maiden-style, super-stylized guitar with a drill bit on it, and he's dressed like Andrew Dice Clay, killing girls
0: in their dreams! Yes! Yeah, what more could you ask for?
1: Then there is the, the Italian stage fright. I remember liking it, but I just remember being freaked out by the killer with the giant, is it an owl, owl on his yeah, head? It's yeah, mask. it's like a, the big owl mask. It's,
0: That's just weird. It is a very, very effective giallo. With, with the, the kills, the inventiveness of it, the owl mask. It is it is a very uncomfortable. I mean, and I don't mean uncomfortable in like necromantic terms. I just mean like it's it the way that they they present it. It really works. Uh, I think stage fright is is a terrific uh, giallo. Well, then there's the first stepfather. Now I'm not
1: saying it's a bad movie because I do like it. I don't know why. I like Stepfather 2 better. I'm not sure why that is. Critic in me says the first Stepfather is the more well-made, more well-written movie. But I just really like Stepfather 2 better,
0: and I don't know why. Terry O'Quinn is chilling in The Stepfather like a how oh well in both of in, in both, both
1: of the ones he's in
0: yeah because then going back because then uh because uh, uh guy magar did three which i think was good but it was also you could tell it was made for a lot less money but i still think he did a very good job with it but i mean Terry quinn holy crap did did he nail that role like he, that is one of the unspoken horror bad guys that just n- does not get enough love who am i here yeah exactly you know, where he's trying to, he's trying to remember, like, you know, which, uh, you know, which he, version of himself he's supposed to be. Uh, Jill Sholin is just as terrific as the, the daughter in that. It's really effective. It is a movie that, uh, another one that deserves way more love and attention. And, uh, and then, oh god, they had a terrible rink that completely missed the point. Straight-up garbage. What? A
1: remake that missed the <laughs> point
0: of the I original? Know. You
1: You lie. No, never do that. Well, but then there's the slime glopola classic street Love trash. That. Where else are you going to see homeless people playing a football game with a man's rotted-off penis? That actually happens
0: in the movie, I it swear. It does. If you want a movie where you will be sitting there with your mouth open and just... Uh, like, at every single scene, Street Trash is just one of the most bizarre films ever. I love it dearly. It's a Slime Glopola classic. It is Ola a classic. Slime Glopola classic. You will need a shower after watching this film because you will just feel sticky. Then there is The Tomb. Now, I'm... I kind of feel the
1: same way about Fred Olin Ray as I do about David Dakota. The man just just shovels out crap nowadays, but he made a lot of good movies in the older days, but then you watch old interviews with him and he's so arrogant about how, I'm better, he literally, in the shock cinema documentary says he's better than Roger Corman because on the same budget adjusted for inflation Roger Corman had, I've got major stars and I'm shooting in color and we've got special effects and it's like yeah you just completely made me hate you.
2: People don't understand that Roger will sit back and say well you know we made this film in six days for a hundred thousand dollars. Well let me tell you something Roger Corman's movies were talk fests for the most part that took place in one or two room sets with a complete studio facility no major stars are in black and white and they only ran 60 minutes now we can't get away with that now you know a $100,000 budget in the 50s probably equals about a $250,000 budget today yet we're still making color movies that run 90 minutes that aren't talk fest that have big name stars and we're doing it for less than $100,000 a picture so I don't think that what they're claiming in the 50s was such a major feat. We're beating it today with inflation and everything else. We're still making movies with Jan Michael Vincent and David Carradine and people like that coming in for less than the quickie films of the 50s, coming in at the same time or maybe even a little shorter, having more action, better special effects in color with a longer running time. So I'd say we've got the pants beat off of those guys that keep telling these stories about how they did this in six days for $80,000.
1: I think Fred Olin Ray is an arrogant f***ing twat, and his personality makes me hate most of his movies now.
0: I will say that the tomb is better when they're actually in a tomb, and then they leave the tomb, and the movie is not quite as good, but it's still an interesting, uh, enjoyable film, but I wish that they actually spent more time in the tomb. That's that's my major complaint with the tomb. For a movie called The Tomb, it spends a lot of time in the city.
1: The other thing that pisses me off about this movie is not the movie itself, but Michelle Bauer. Michelle Bauer used to do hardcore porn movies as Pia Snow. Cafe Flesh, she did Night Dreams, she did a couple of other ones, and she's on record saying The Tomb is my first real film. Because apparently, adult movies can't be actual films, according to Michelle Bauer.
0: Oh, oh, all right. Now, come on, dude. Let's let's be realistic here. I think even people, even actresses and whatnot that were in like pirates that uh, that Jenna Jameson, like million dollar porn. At the end of the day, like I don't believe I have a problem with porn, but kind of agree with her that it's like okay. I do think that there is a distinctive difference between a film porn. We're talking. late 70s early 80s porn. Something like Cafe Flesh
1: and Night Dreams, these are not porno movies. These have so much story in them that like HBO was actually able to edit out the hardcore scenes from Cafe Flesh and air it on HBO. Cafe Flesh is a real movie, despite what arrogant twats, I guess like even you, think
0: that oh it's it, it's it, it's got cum shots, that's that's not a real movie. Fuck you! Well, uh, I just, look, I am not, like, again, there's nothing wrong with it. I watch enough porn. But uh, there is a distinct difference between sitting down to watch a movie and sitting down to watch a porn. You know, if if you think that, you know, that is, like, and and again, I am not disputing anybody's acting prowess or whatever, but I do think that there is just a, there is a distinct difference. In the same way, to a certain degree, there's a difference between television and movies. Between movies and porn. Uh, whatever, it makes, if that makes me an arrogant twat, like I, I wouldn't go up to Michelle Bauer and, and give her a heart, you know, I oh, you first did this movie and it's a real movie, like I wouldn't give her shit for that, I mean, because I, and I don't like Tracy Lords, but, I would, you know, when she was saying, like, she got into doing, like, real movies with... Roger John- Corman gave her her real movie start, but... John Waters, where she was saying, like, she was doing real movies with John Corman and... Or, or Roger Corman and John Waters. Like, I would agree with that, again, because it's, like, it's it's, it's a different animal.
1: Okay, I, I want to clarify. I don't dislike Tracy Lords. I f***ing loathe that cascading thunder cunt who destroyed some friends of mine's lives so she could advance her own career with her own lies and deception. She knew what she was doing every step of the way. It was calculated. It was thought out. It was meticulous. She was willing to take down an entire industry, and she didn't care who she hurt as long as she got famous for it. I will never be okay with any director that puts her in a film. It pissed me the f*** off when Kevin Smith who claims to be an adult film fan cast her in a film i lost all respect for him she is the worst kind of person out there she is a narcissist and she needs to be stopped people need to stop well tracy lord fuck tracy lords
0: oh i had to bring her up didn't i can we talk about Pune? Can we talk about how awesome Vicious Lips is? Okay, no,
1: I love Vicious Lips. I don't... I, I, I keep seeing it put on horror movie lists. I love Vicious Lips. I think this is a fantastic movie, and I'll probably play one of the songs from it at the end of this episode. But it's not a horror movie. It's a science fiction movie. I mean, okay, there's a couple of horror elements at a couple of moments. I love Vicious
0: Lips, but it's not a horror film, though. Yeah, um, I'm with you on that. I, I still, like, it, it has... Horror elements, and Pyun has been known for... Well, he does a lot of sci-fi and horror, and sci-fi horror. So, um, but yeah, it's a, it is a terrific little film with a great soundtrack.
1: The Su-Sad soundtrack is alone what you can watch the movie Because the movie, uh, let's be fair, we both love it. There's not a ton of substance here. It, it's, it's about a female rock band in outer space. The tagline is, they're lost and loose in outer space. But the Su-Sad soundtrack it's a shame this never got released. Sue said her, her her album Sue said in the next never came out on CD. I actually have an LP of it. all of her soundtrack stuff like this and radioactive dreams and looker and stuff like that never officially came out but she released a CD a couple of years ago of demos that has a lot of the early demo versions of the songs from Vicious Lips as well as Radioactive Dreams on it. I cannot recommend that higher, although I didn't like the demos as much as I liked the versions that are in the films. Maybe that's just because I, I've heard those so much more. Then the the final two we should talk about are The Video Dead, which I think is a movie that works and doesn't work. It has parts that are brilliant, and it has so much filler where you could tell they didn't know how to pad this thing out to 90 minutes. I swear the script was for a 30 minute short film and somebody gave them feature money and they're like, well, I guess we drag it out to 90.
0: It's, uh, it's neat. I think it's, um, I need to, I need to revisit it. I actually have a copy of it, uh, that it cause it was a double packed in with. The, the know, was it, it was packed in with the Empire box set because
1: and, and this is just amazing. It's not an Empire film. It was never released by Empire. It had nothing to do with Charles Band, but it was released by Shout Factory on a double disc set with TerrorVision. So Charles, that's
0: right. It was with TerrorVision.
1: Charles Band literally just bought the TerrorVision disc with Video Dead on it and put that in the Empire. That's also the reason Troll Two which is not an Empire film, is also in the Empire box set, because it's just happened to be on the same Blu-rays that Troll was on.
0: Charles Band's nothing if not frugal. You know, I got somebody in my comments that was giving me shit over, uh, I've never, I've never heard anyone suck Charles Band's dick as much as you, and I'm like, look, I understand that, like, he's done some crafty things in the industry, and maybe some, you know, quote-unquote not good, but it's like, You're acting like he's the only one. You're going to, like, do I love Charles Band? Absolutely. Large chunks of my adolescence have been watching Full Moon and Empire Pictures films. Large chunks of my, like, now life are because, like, I am the way that I am now because I loved those, you know, those movies, uh, Subspecies and Doll Man and Puppet Master. So, yeah, I'm going to constantly trumpet my love of of what he has built. But don't try to act like he hasn't done things that other producers and and studio heads have done. If not, they have done worse. So I'm sorry if I really really enjoy the the product of something that uh, that he's he's done sad that we're we're kind of getting the 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 not the quality of Full Moon that we used to get but uh, it it's a different world out there which was an episode we did a while ago where we were talking about how much the industry's changed and how streaming if for better or worse is kind of a is kind of a weird direction for the industry and I don't know especially now with Disney taking over I just don't I don't know if it's quite as good a thing anymore.
1: I also just want to say I've spoken to the man many times. I've worked for him. I've written for his Delirium magazine on more than one occasion. I was paid on time, so I can't complain about that. I think the guy is a genuinely nice guy who maybe doesn't always make the most, most ethical decisions. I still love his films, and yeah, okay, if we're Charles Band dick suckers, then hey, at least, at least we're doing something we love, right? Yeah, you know,
0: I, I could think of, uh you know, I mean, I'd, I'd rather, I would rather, I'd rather be a Charles Band Dick sucker than a Disney Dick sucker. And believe me, there are a lot more of them out there.
1: But then I, I did want to end 1987 on the shockingly underrated and shockingly unseen Zombie High with Virginia Madsen and Sherilyn Fenn. I genuinely love this film, and no one seems to remember this one. Virginia Madsen doesn't seem to be particularly wanting people to remember it either, but I don't care. I still like it.
0: It's it's a really good film. Remember it's uh I think I saw it on I think I saw it on USA up all night as uh The School That Ate My Brain. It's such a different thing. Even the cover that they push now has like a slightly older Virginia Madsen on. it. I've got the I got uh, the original
1: VHS which I think just has the skeleton on the cover.
0: Yeah, it wasn't until like she kind of became famous. Like I think they re-released it after Candyman. Yeah, it's it's a neat movie that uh, definitely deserves to be checked out, especially because you know you can go back and you're seeing Virginia Madsen and Sherilyn Fenn and unfortunately Paul Feig. But uh, don't don't let that put you off. It is a neat little uh, horror movie, and it is not really the the movie that you think it's going to be, especially with a title like Zombie High. It's it, it's
1: really more of a comedy than anything. If if I'm remembering it right. Yeah, it's got,
0: uh, I remember it having some comedic elements in it.
1: So, that's 1987. I wanted this to be the last one, but Cecil and I just kept talking. So, I guess we'll keep doing these. If Peter's here next week, we'll probably only get through 1988. But I don't care. I'm having fun, and as
0: long as you're still listening, don't give a crap. Uh, 87's a really goddamn good year. And and we didn't even talk about
1: the, you know, stuff that doesn't qualify like RoboCop and stuff. Because, you know, that's not a horror film. But, yeah, 87 was a fantastic year.
0: I had talked about this, I did the foreword for a book a few years ago, uh, called, uh, So Get It, So Bad It's Good, uh, like two electric boogaloo, where I was talking about my introduction to kind of good, bad movies and such. And, uh, for me, one of the movies that really awakened my like of movies that were entertainingly bad, so to speak, was a movie called Alien Predator, uh, which was originally titled The Falling, uh, also The Mutant Two. A movie, I'm like, oh my god, this is Alien and Predator. We're talking years.
1: I, uh, I, 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 yeah, I, I remember the cover art where it's got that sort of gradient, uh, look, almost vector graphic sort of gradient thing on it with the eyes over the, the sky. Skies? Yes, I remember the VHS yeah. cover.
0: So I I needed to see this movie, and I saw it, and we, my friends and I uh watched it and laughed hysterically, and that kind of made me want to get, you know, see other films of this kind. And, Don't uh, Dennis Christopher star in that? Dennis Christopher is in that. Lynn Holly Johnson. Yeah, it's, it's a really, it was actually from June of 1984, but didn't release until 87. Uh, I didn't see it until 94, I think. It's, uh, it is a unique film. It's actually another one that just got released on Blu-ray, which I picked up not too long ago, uh, which I'm probably going to cover next year. I'll talk about how that was my... Even though I had already watched a lot of Full Moon movies, I consider a lot of them to be just genuinely entertaining, whereas this movie, that is bad, but it is, like, fun. Uh, if you have the opportunity to check out Alien Predator. It's probably on, going back to streaming services, it's probably on some streaming service too, I'm sure. But uh, is a, don't expect aliens or predators in it. Expect a lot of bad special effects and people standing around not doing anything.
1: Well, okay, so so, <laughs> so on that note then, where can we find Cisa with Charles Band's cock touching his tonsils?
0: Yes, you can find me doing naughty things over at goodbadflix.com, which is going to get a remodeling very soon well as youtube uh well good bad flicks at youtube twitter twitch facebook and 1201 beyond.com i hope to be able to get rid of this cold at some point and actually sound like myself again
1: you can find me at 1201beyond.com you can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com guys try to be a cut above keep one foot in the gutter one fist in the gold have a good night
3: It strikes deep within you And shakes the life of everything you've known Breastless hearts pushing to find something to hang on to In a world of confusion where there's no place to hide Through the madness you stir